At KeyBank, we understand what you need to run a middle market company. We bring a team of strategists and problem solvers to design and deliver solutions critical to your business's success. KeyBank offers industry expertise, investment banking and capital markets, payment automation, loans and lines of credit, plus equipment financing. Connect with your local KeyBank team. Learn more at key.com slash commercial. Welcome to the Grit Daily Startup. I'm your host, Sebastian Rusk, and this is a podcast about what goes on behind the scenes at startups. The good, the bad, and the gritty. Let's dive in. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we are here at the Central Con, and uh, we are at the Link2 interview booth and station. It's a glass box. A lot of us are trying to break glass ceilings, and, uh, you know, in my world, we uh, make longer tables and shorter fences and provide accessibility to things. So, you know, Web3 and cryptocurrency, NFTs, blockchain, all of this is completely uh, a place that can embrace that access that is necessary along with the education and more so. Happy to be here, happy to be hosting, happy to have Michael and Justin take care of me, and uh, yeah. And just so you know, there is no ceiling in our glass box. Right. The sky's the limit. <laughs> the well, sky is the limit, except for the, the roof. Things are looking up. So tell, uh, I actually want to cover a, a bunch of things, so thank you for inviting us and hosting us here at Deca- uh, Decentral in Miami, it's awesome. Met some really interesting, cool people. Uh, even at the bar last night when you were checking in, that was uh, that was great. So we're very very proud of uh, all that you've done and continue to do. Um, let's talk a little bit about Michael. A little bit of an intro for yourself. Yeah, uh, I've been in the crypto space since 2017. Uh, worked with Polygon, Chromia, Persistence. Uh, the list kind of goes on and on. But uh, now, currently, I'm um, hosting basically Decentral and kind of like all of our sub-events as well. We have five brands under our belt, which are uh, DeFi Summit, NFT Con, GM Summit, which is Games and Metaverses, DAO Summit. And we all tie it back to Decentral Miami because this is our flagship event. And so when did you start Decentral? Uh, we started it last year. Our, uh, last year was our first Decentral Miami, and then we did Decentral Austin in uh, June, and then Decentral Miami again this time. Um, but we got some plans to kind of take it over to uh, Asia. So. Oh, that's awesome. And why? The reason was because we've been to a lot of conferences, and can, can I be blunt on here? Uh, you can say whatever you want to say. Okay, cool. Uh, it's being recorded, it'll be reshared, <laughs> so share, share whatever you want to say. We, we've been to a lot of conferences and each one of them, I'm not going to lie, is very suit and tie, it's very strict up and kind of like, we wanted it to be where it's something that's fun, you know, like we didn't want it to be where it's the same amount of speakers, you know, the same speakers that come in all the time and kind of shill. We wanted it to be where, hey, look, the little guy actually gets a voice. And uh, a lot of our speakers too, they're like, hey, uh, whenever they're applying, they're like, I don't have a following, I don't have this, but I'm building, you know, blah, 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 whichever that they're building, we're like, you're welcome here. They're like, holy shit. We wanted to make something to where it's like, if you're at a festival or a, or a seminar, in two years, which one would you remember? Most likely the festival. You want yep. something fun, entertaining, but also at the same time, educational too. So like we do kind of like, you know, we try to do uh, due diligence on our speakers to the best of our ability uh, to make sure that they're actually good speakers, like so that they can actually educate and, and be able to, uh, you know, educate others with uh, what they're building. So uh, 
that's really interesting because when we host the Global Investor Conference and our event is coming up, uh, the virtual event is coming up December 6th, 7th and 8th, it's exactly the same tenor. It's like, who are you as an entrepreneur, builder, investor? What are you looking to build? What are you investing in? And as we look at the trends uh, that we're, that's, that's being um, talked about uh, for the next year or two years, that gives us ins insight as a company to look at what kind of companies to invest in as we see trends. We were talking about NFTs and uh, blockchain for impact and space technologies a year and um, a year and a half ago, and those are all coming to fruition now. And you know, sometimes folks will say, oh, you need to get this speaker, you need to get this speaker. I was like, those are the, like the name brand speakers who are in Forbes, and I said, but why? There are a bunch of other speakers here that are building really cool things, and they don't need to be on Forbes to be here. Uh, because you've heard those guys over and over again, so I applaud you on the mission. Very yeah, cool. For, for us, we wanted it to be where it's like, if you're actually building, like, come on down. If you're not, like we, we've seen a lot of people that are like, hey, we're building this and that, and kind of like, they talk about it, they talk about it like at every single conference, but I don't see them working on it, right? And that's something that we wanted to really focus on is like, when people say it's the bear market, we rephrase it, we say it's the builder's market. Yep. It's here for the builders to, to have a community, have a home. So Eric, tell me a little bit more. You started this a year ago, um, no, so I, I started building in Web3, uh, I would say 2016, when I started converting fiat to cryptocurrency, and I just looked at it as being transactional, strictly transactional. Um, I also used it back through, um, you know, the SoulSeek, AirShare, LimeWire, uh, <laughs> Napster, good old days when I ran a lot of bootleg blogs and independent blogs. I've always been about um, artist empowerment. I've always been about the underdog and fighting for the independent. Um, I um, I don't know where along the lines I kind of got disenfranchised with the corporate machine, but you know, from my underground warehouse parties and after-hour events that were pretty much raves, I've always like supported that culture. So you know, I'd supply venues to companies like Mixmag or Boiler Room, and um, you know, I realized by providing these spaces, it was allowing for the opportunity for sustainability and longevity of that culture, of that sound that's created, versus kids being in basements making music that they can never play out and never get discovered and never get heard unless they're on a social media platform or a music streaming platform, a DSP like Spotify, where they're getting crumbs for their work and time and effort and energy. And I think in the same vein, like a lot of my interest in the bootleg blog thing um, during the early days of like Napster, BearShare, SoulSeek, Mega Upload, etc., LimeWire, um, you know, I was doing that same thing. I would put up uh, music directly from the artist to me, which would be against the contract or label, Universal, Warner, Sony, BMG, whatever, and um, they tell me don't take it down, even though I'd be getting DMCA takedown notices threatening to take millions of dollars from me and fining me and putting me in jail for hosting that music. And all I'm doing is having this little conflict of like, do I support these guys that are threatening me or do I support these guys that are telling me that they've made more money in one week of their record being on my website than they have all year of being on the shelves with these guys. Sure. You know, so I think we're kind of coming to uh, another like full circle point for me personally where I'm seeing a lot of that ownership conversation. I'm seeing a lot of rights and management of your IP. I'm seeing a lot of um, interest in financial literacy and how to get the most bang for your buck and really, you know, also being considerate to an educated consumer and not treating people like 
they're just another number. That's really important. I mean, when we uh, host a global investor conference, it's the same reason, right? It's just education, and then we do Link to Learn, which is another education about financial and financial literacy and technologies that people should be looking at. So that's really important. And as you see the evolution of what's happening with DeFi and decentralization in general, and that's why you've called it de-conference, (laughs) decentralize this stuff, and then you're going to Asia. So give me a perspective of what you see happening in the U.S. with that model as opposed to what's happening in Asia, if there's symmetry, if there's conflict, and what's the adoption? I think for the U.S., we're You're going to have to get uh, close to this thing. I, I think for the U.S., we're very behind. Um, a lot of companies are actually not building in the U.S. for crypto. The reason why is because we need to have this infrastructure set up. And I've been telling people, I was like, there are companies that are now going to like Singapore, Hong Kong. They're trying to go over to Asia. They're going to like BVI, and they're all setting up over there because like if we want to capture, you know, like even for us at Decentral too, it's like in order for us to be compliant and do all these things, there's so many hurdles to kind of jump through. But if you have a company that's you know has an idea that wants to build this and maybe a billion dollar idea, they have to go over to Asia or over to where it's going to be, you know, a better place for them. And I think that we're losing all that money. And I've, I've talked about this to, to kind of everyone. And they're like, you don't like the U.S.? It's like, no, I love the U.S. I'm, a, I'm American. I live in the U.S. It's just we need to get our shit together because we're, we're, we're leaving money on the table and someone else is actually taking it. So, like, if you look to, if you go to, over to Asia, Asia, every, everyone over there has, they have a lot more literacy in terms of what DeFi is, what everything is. They also have a stronger uh, financial kind of, like, backgrounds for a lot of them as well. And I think that a lot of money is, you know, within the next... I would say year, you're going to see a lot of companies really spring out from uh, mostly from Asia compared to the United States. So the question really that springs to my mind, and I'm sure other folks are having the same thought, is if you go into into a country or a a jurisdiction that has less controls and is more welcoming, do we see the opportunity or possibility of very many more FTXs? Yes and no. In terms of, yes, in terms of, yes, you can go in there, get banking, get all that stuff. That's kind of like the bare bones stuff of it. But it's kind of up to the user, right? Because like the, the, the blunt truth of like crypto and what Web3 is all about is that there are big players in here. And you have to make sure that you are not over leveraging yourselves. Like these guys, they got fucked. They, they, they got super greedy. They wanted to play against house. They wanted to be the house. And then bet on top of, uh, basically Al- uh, Alameda could not get liquidated. You can pump up anything you want or kind of like kill a project by shorting it as much as you want if they're not, you know, within your crew. It's literally like a cartel. And for them to kind of implode, it it hurts because a lot of people really got wrecked from it. A lot of people have like placed their savings in there. Celebrities are now going on to like tremendous trials. And, you know, we have to make sure as a community to kind of find a way to say, hey, look, police, you know, policing yourselves, not your keys, not your crypto. Make sure you're taking it off. Don't trust anyone with anything like the, the main point of crypto is like, don't trust verify, right? We yep. need to verify uh, and make sure that these companies are also held accountable too. But also from that too, it's like if you have companies that are really looking to really strive, there's jurisdictions that allow them to do that without limitations so that they can scale, uh, they can scale properly without, you know, without having those limitations of, hey, look, if I do this, you know, I can't do this, it's gonna limit my growth, I can't work with them, I can't work with that. It's kind of like play, placing you in a box where creativity is going to just fester up and just gets really small and small and disappear. So the blood truth, great title. (laughs) Do we see this as a blip 
on a scale of 10 to 20 to 30 years, uh, similar to what happened when you know marijuana started going green and everyone jumped on marijuana, and then the JPEGs with NFTs, they will start jumping on JPEGs. And those sort of business models now are sort of like, hey, finding reality, the bad actors are sort of like push the sidelines or the ones that we know of anywhere. But do you really think that what we're doing with blockchain, Web3, NFTs, is the new next business that will survive and, and thrive? I, I mean, I, I personally, I'm invested in it. Uh, over 10,000 hours at this point. <laughs> um, I feel like I've been building in Web3 or with Web3 tools my entire life. At the end of the day, I think it provides more layers for illustration of your creativity and expression, as well as more case studies and use cases and functional components as well, that those mechanics are the new rails. They're the new pipelines. They're the new routes that we can take to accomplish goals that previously weren't uh, executable. I think right now, more than anything, you're seeing... Um, sure, the negative stigma attached to the news drives traffic, which creates more ad dollars, which creates more traffic, which creates more ad dollars that, you know, I don't, I'm not here for the echo chambers of negativity, but I am here for the function, not necessarily the fashion. I don't need something to be sexy to be cool, right? And I think we saw that during COVID with QR codes, right? QR codes have been around in Asia and all over the world for a very long time, but it took being in this state of disarray slash we need it, not that we want it. We need a solution to a problem. So everybody suddenly had to get on board with QR codes. And now literally everywhere that you look, way after like the peak of COVID, at least in North America, those QR codes still exist. Those contactless menus still exist. And a lot of those businesses did not go back. And I think with that level of adoption and adaptation and how to overcome adversity, that's what you're seeing in this space. You're seeing a lot of really, really, really intelligent individuals creating solutions for problems that we've not had a whole new trick up our sleeve to play with. And that's that's what's happening here. So I don't I don't look at it as like a temporary blip. I don't look at it as like a moment in time that um, that's here today, gone tomorrow. I don't think it's a fad. I do think that there are things that are romanticized and narratives that are spun for all intents and purposes of specific individuals or corporations or companies. But I do understand the tangible value in a lot of these things. And, and that's, that's what I'm using this to showcase, right? You know, never in my life would I imagine that I'd be speaking with Fortune 100 companies, telling them, showing them, educating them on what tomorrow looks like and forecasting trends and showcasing really tangible proof that is pretty um, just undeniable that this is the direction that things are going. So, he's me to the next question, which I've been asking. So, we've got a bunch of creators, developers, and enthusiasts, just like the both of you, who are pushing some boundaries and creating new boundaries, um, which are flexible, so you, you can do what you do. But we've got the Fortune 100 companies, the Fortune 500 companies, the Fortune 1000 companies, who are still using a bunch of legacy stuff, legacy software, legacy protocols, etc., etc., Two questions. One is, how well are they adopting some of those new things that we're talking about today, blockchain, NFTs, and various protocols? Uh, How quickly that's going to happen? Because they have the consumer base. They're making a bunch of money Mm -hmm. off their legacy infrastructure. 
And then if and when they start adopting this, will this take it out of the realm of the creators and developers and builders? Yeah. So that's three questions. Okay. Blockchain can help people count too. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but I mean, I, I think at the end of the day, like I'm watching special interest parties that deal with patents going into the medical industry and creating blockchain use cases for hospitals that are looking at records and looking at how valuable they are and how much money goes into security of such data. And as somebody with a traumatic aortic rupture slash multiple fractures and been on bed rest for two years, like I understand the value of somebody being able to just look something up instantly and understand, oh, this is his thing. This is a serious problem. We know how to solve this immediately versus having to blindly troubleshoot and figure out like by hitting the leg and tapping the arm and looking at your wrist and checking your pulse on if this makes sense as a solution to the problems that you have. So that alone is like a revolutionary thing just as much as this being tied to VIN numbers with vehicles and all sorts of registration and certification and authenticity type things. This is mobile notaries on steroids. And I think the companies are quick to adopt it once they understand it. So you just have to make it understandable, you have to make it digestible, and you have to make it applicable for that industry, right? In, in each Thank industry you. Kind of I, think, uh, I think those are three answers. <laughs> well, the, the brands portion too. So like brands are trying to get into the space and they're trying to find a way to actually, you know, come in and be a part of it. But I think some of them are coming in at the wrong way in terms of like a money grab. And they, the community is giving so much backlash with it. Like, if you look at, like, Nike, how they came in with, uh, with artifacts and everything, like, everyone loves them because they came in the proper way to kind of treat the community and make sure they're taken care of. Adidas came in and had really, uh, you know, a lot of backlash with uh, Board Ape Yacht Club. And people were like, hey, look, I'm having issues with kind of, like, authenticity. Um, the way that, uh, what was it? I, there's, another, there's another jewelry brand that came in, Tiffany's, Tiffany's that did it with the CryptoPunks. It's like, hey, look, you have an NFT necklace, but it's cost you like what, twelve ETH? Like, for, like, why are you trying to do that? Like, what's going to be next with that? Uh, in terms of like what their community is going to be valuing it, but I think like a lot of brands are trying to find a way, and they just don't know how because they they saw the the two use cases for it, and they see kind of like how the community can be really really supportive of you and really bring you up there, or just really push you down to kind of say, hey, look, you're doing it wrong. So yeah, so there's both sides of that coin, right? You've got community support, but they can trash you as well. Yeah. Um, let's talk about a little bit about uh, geographical talent, education. Uh, you're going to Asia to start your next conference, uh, so you have an understanding of the folks in Asia. Mm-hmm. Is there a significant difference between North Americans and Asian talent in being developers, builders, and creators? I think. Who, and who are they doing it for? Gotcha. I think right now there is a very, very big. Uh, pool of developers in Asia, whether it's from India, whether it's from Vietnam, China, whichever whichever country, Philippines as well, that are really underpaid. Like you look at them, some of the developers are getting paid like 400 bucks a month, and for them, that's kind of like their salary to you know uh, their salary to be able to feed their family. But the value of like releasing it to say, hey, look, I can get you onto the blockchain and become a Web3 developer, make all that money, and then from there, give it back to your community or give it back to your family, you know make sure you take care of them but the biggest thing is always about giving back like if you give someone an opportunity to make 10 times their money and still do the same thing and still have the same passion in their field to, to become a developer 
you can now have them educate the others that are around them. It builds up the communities around them. It builds up more to where there are going to be other companies that, you know, for some of them don't have an opportunity of saying, hey, look, I, I can become a developer. I can create this project. But for me, I have to make sure I, have, I put food on the table. While if you, if you uh, build them up um, and build up a community with it, you can now build a product and say you can scale 10 times faster. Right? You have a whole group of developers that are going to be now overpaid in terms of where they're living, happy with what they're doing with their surroundings, but start building actual companies and products that are going to be coming out. So that's why I'm very bullish on Asia, kind of like really up and coming. Because like, you know, like Polygon has helped, uh, helped a lot of people in India as well, kind of realize the full potential. You don't have to work in one specific area. You can work globally as long as you have the skill sets for it. Let's go to the follow-up question that blockchain related. Um, but the, the, so uh, is there an inherent difference in our educational system in the US versus in Asia? Or is there an inherent need to survive problems? I think for, for the US, the education system is created, it, it doesn't create entrepreneurs. It's meant to put you in a box. You're meant to be a worker. And I think that people that are entrepreneurs fully break out of it. Of course, it's not like, I'm not trashing the education system. Like everyone should have, you know, at least go to school and kind of like learn everything. But it's conformed to where, hey, look, you're going to go to school, go to college, get a job, pay for a house, go in debt, you know, all that stuff. But for the ones that really want to build it out, Asia has a little bit of a different system. So I know in Vietnam, you have to pay to go to school, even if it's elementary, college, whichever. But it makes them value it a little bit more. Whenever someone gets something for free, they don't care about it. It's like if I, if I give you something for free and say, hey, this is very important to me, do not break it, you'll probably be like, okay, this is whatever, it's free to yeah, me, it has yeah. no value associated with it. But uh, whenever you're paying for it, you're like, hey, it's either I pay for school or I don't eat for the next week, I need to make sure I value this so that it's a lot more respected in that, in that area. Some thoughts on that? I think it's kind of a catch-22, and I, and I say this because, you know, I've been producing, I've produced more events than anybody in Web3 over the last, I guess, two and a half years, really, like, just strictly in the last six months of the events, and all my events have been trying a new model of everything being free, right? So, if everything's free, does that mean lower quality? Does that mean that your audience is a lower brow or lower grade? Does that mean the expectations are lower for certain levels of experience? Um, does that mean that I'm going to cut corners or things are going to be cheaper because I'm not generating revenue at the door or off the ticket sales? Not necessarily. All of my events have been completely free, free entry, free food, free drinks, free education and entertainment. And the next step is free round trip transportation because my whole thing about it is this education, information, knowledge, and experience should be fair and equitable. It should be diverse and inclusive. There should be at least two women per, per panel on my stages, and there is. Uh, my performers, like, it should not be one type. It should be open to everyone, right? Of all different skill levels, all different skill sets, backgrounds, creeds, races, religions, and more. And I think accessibility and education go hand in hand in the success of this space. And I think that's a universal problem. And the solution is having these um, translated conversations and having tr conversations that live on chain that aren't token gated by advertisers that aren't castles built on other people's sand like youtube or whatever it may be right making sure that this stuff is uncensored raw unapologetically real and helpful and i think in the united states we're kind of coddled in a way that um 
you know, get a good job so you can make it, or sorry, get a good education so you can get a good job so you can make good money so you can take care of yourself and others and then do whatever the hell you want. And it was always frowned upon for you to go any alternative direction. Sure. And I dropped out of high school at 16 because I was making more money than my parents by playing online games like EverQuest and StarCraft and Diablo. And then also using small companies at that time like PayPal to generate revenue yep. and talking about the future of things. And everybody's like, you're ridiculous. And then same thing with streaming media. I was ahead with pushing um, the world's first and only online open mic. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you could come on from anywhere in the world and rap or listen to rap, right? And the idea to a lot of people was that you can't do that. And it, like, we can't be out right now. We have a curfew. In our country, we can't do this. This is amazing. I'm connecting with people in Los Angeles and New York and Miami all at once from the corner of my home in this corner of a country that I only have internet access for 12 hours a day or six hours a day. Great. It's beautiful. So I think this whole, I won't even call it a phenomenon. I think that this whole education and empowerment is coming from accessibility and opportunity and it is it is life changing and world changing stuff, and I think that's a lot of the driving factors for a lot of people in this space. It's 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 bigger than rap. It's it's much more than um, you know commerce and transactional and financial shifts. It's it's a global shift and <clears throat> a format change. And a lot of people don't recognize format changes until it's too late. You know that's why like <laughs> that's iPhone the BlackBerry like I like or that. Vice versa, they, don't, you know? they don't realize a format change before it's too late. So. All of a sudden, we'll be doing things that we didn't know had started like six years ago. It's foundational, uh, foundational development. I'm going to let you say a couple of things, um, and then we're going to go back to Eric. He's going to close us close us out with a wrap. I, I didn't know that he, he was kind of like the same as me in terms of uh, playing games, converting it to PayPal. Kind of like a, that's kind of like how I started with digital assets too. So it's you were selling loot. I was, <laughs> I was selling in uh, World of Warcraft, and we got, I was hacking gold in World of Warcraft, selling gold for PayPal, and then uh, other games as well. But that was kind of like the early, early days. My mom was like, "How are you making like five grand in like a month?" And I was like, "I'm just, you know, playing this game." And then after a while, they changed it. My mom's like, "Where's, the, where's the money? Where's the money?" <laughs> she got used to spending it. <laughs> uh, what would you like our audience to hear from you today, Michael, as you close, you, as you close this out? Yeah, I think that uh, I want to touch back on the education portion. I believe it should be free, like in terms of like not gatekeeping information and access, because whether you're in the Philippines, whether you're in uh, America, whether you're anywhere around the world, like for us, we, we live stream all of our conferences. So like we record everything, we even place it back on YouTube. And if YouTube decides to, to blacklist us or whatever, we have other alternatives that we're going to be going on and everything. But I think it's like everything that people have at conferences or kind of like talks, we want them to be fully accessible afterwards. So it's not like token gated, it's not gatekeeped, um, so that they can get all that information. And they're like, well, what's the difference between you know watching the live stream and then coming to the conference? That's why we have you know we have six, uh, five or six stages right now. So it's like there's going to be a lot of information, and if they want to be here, that's for them to network. Sure. And we understand that some people can't afford to be at the conferences and everything, so we still have that information out there so that it's completely you know completely free for everyone to that's even awesome. just tune in. Yeah, great, good stuff. Close us out with a rap. Freestyle time. No pressure. Freestyle. 
I'm taking your fan base, they can't keep waiting. Defacing your camps, tanks, your campaigns fading. We train in darkness before the harvest, straight sharpening swords. What does it take to pave this course of carnage and war? Most say they're too poor to support an artist, of course. Driving a Porsche regardless right inside their parking garage. Because they'd rather not be bothered helping a product evolve. Honestly, it's got me feeling brokenhearted and torn. It's got me feeling like the artistry's all fucked up and lost. Because now we got another broken artist discarded and tossed I love it well done done. (laughs) but not lost but not lost (laughs) love it rapping about gas prices still tripping on bored apes and the last vices my tour dates and my last spices (laughs) (laughs) wonderful thank you guys so much really it's been a pleasure thank you so much absolutely thank you thanks thank you Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Grit Daily Startup. If you haven't done so already, make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you consume podcasts. This way you'll get updates as new episodes become available. This podcast is brought to you by GritDaily.com, the premier startup news hub. More information at GritDaily.com. Once again, I'm your host, Sebastian Rusk. Until next time, friends. Safeway for great spring savings throughout the store. This week at Safeway, get yellow peaches or nectarines for the member price of $1.88 per pound. Also this week at Safeway, value packs of Signature Farms chicken drumsticks, thighs, leg quarters, or picnic packs are buy one, get one free. Plus, get value packs of USDA choice boneless beef top sirloin steak for the member price of $4.99 per pound. Visit Safeway.com, download the Safeway for you app, or head in store to find more great deals at Safeway.